0: Well, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the spirit, talking about different aspects of God's spirit. What does it mean to be a people who affirm that we believe that God is three and one, the father, the son, the spirit? How does the spirit move in our lives, inviting us to be and become the church? And today the passage that I'll be preaching on and we'll be considering together, that Rick read for us, comes from the prophet Joel. Joel, in the Hebrew Bible, is one of the 12 minor, we often call it in the Christian tradition, but one of the 12. One of the prophets, and you thought you got away from the prophets if you were here with us in January, but we're back with a little bit more prophets for you this Mother's Day. So, Joel is one of them. It's a very short book for those who like to say, hey, I read the book of the Bible today. You can read the book of Joel. It's only three chapters long, okay? So let me give you a little bit of context about the book of Joel and then we'll talk about the spirit, the spirit who restores. The book of Joel and the name Joel itself means Jehovah is God or it's one who worships Yahweh, Jehovah, God, okay? So throughout the Jewish tradition, names matter. They tell us something about a place, about a person, and also about a text. And the book of Joel the Oracle here is absolutely that Jehovah is God, okay? That's what pulsates throughout this, is that God is God, there is no other. Our call is to be in alignment with this God, and this God is about the business, of challenging and inviting and calling us to then live lives of worship, to live lives rightly attuned to the God who is. Now in reading this text again and sitting with it, I was thinking about my own life a little bit, which I hope when you think and read scripture that it does bring up for you stories or parts of your own life because the Bible is designed to do that, right? To help us think about how do we live out our faith? How does this text invite us to wrestle or risk? Just to put in a few core values, right? But truly, this text invites from us, what does it mean for us to be the people like in this text? Where in our own lives have we like the people of which Joel is speaking and writing? How have we known things like they have? As Joel begins this oracle, he starts off talking about that basically there's a plague of locusts. Now, people have disagreed over time about was this an allegory to refer to an invading army, which happened all the time, right, because Israel is in the midst of major trade routes, and so people are constantly fighting over the territory, right? So was the locust of which Joel speaks an invading army, the plague that's descending upon them? And or was it a plague of actual locusts that destroyed their crops? They were going to enter famine. I mean, this would have been horrific. Now, I don't think any of us are old enough to have actually experienced the Great Dust Bowl, right? I mean, or like really remember it if you did. But like maybe you read the Grapes of Wrath, right? And so there's a story and part of our own history in a nation where there was drought that was severe in the early 20th century, right? And it decimated farmlands and people's livelihoods. So imagine that kind of desolation. Like they didn't have a truck that they could call in from South America to bring them some produce or something, right? If their land wasn't fertile, people were going to die. And so in this time, the locusts have been there. They've eaten everything. The people are destroyed and dismayed. Now maybe you haven't known locusts. But maybe you've known a kind of locust in your life. Maybe your family has been wrecked by cancer. Or by the death of a loved one or by internal conflict and fighting. Maybe there's been abuse. Maybe you've lost a job and lost hope and not had finances to cover the next month's mortgage. Maybe you've served in our military and you've seen the devastation of when power-hungry people are fighting with one another and causing harm. There's all sorts of different ways that we have known locus in our life. Can you call that to mind? Where have there been locusts in your own life? The locusts of which Joel speaks, they've come and they've decimated the land. And in this, as he talks about what happens, he names how the people are suffering and how they're crying out. But don't worry, that's not the end of the story. Because by the time we get into chapter 2, we hear from God And what God says to the people is God calls out to them in chapter 2, verse 12. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So part of what Joel is naming to this community at this time is a sense that whatever's happened, something has gone awry. The people have turned away from God. The people are suffering. The locusts, whatever they are, the locusts have come. Not to always say, don't hear me say that if there are locusts in your life, God is punishing you, okay? But there are locusts, and the people in this case absolutely have turned away from God. And they are being called now by the prophet, return to God. Return, repent, turn from your ways. Don't just do outward signs, but change your hearts, the prophet calls to them. And through that, we get to the passage then, the part that was read for us, in verse 25. Some of you may recall these words. I will repay for you the years that those swarming locusts have eaten the hopper and destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent against you, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. This saying of I will repay you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, part of why I thought of my own story is because this is a verse that I've referenced throughout my life. Talking about and naming how we have locust times and that God will repay or bring back the years that the locusts have eaten. It's interesting to note then that once we get through this part, by the time we get to verse 28, it says, then afterward, I will pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on my male and female slaves, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, okay? Now, many of us know that part of the book of Joel because it's referenced in Acts 2, right? It's the birth of the church, and they think that all the church is just drunk, right? And then Peter, this is like one of my favorite parts of the Bible, they're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning, people, right? And then Peter references them back to the book of Joel and says, this is what Joel was talking about. In those days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on everybody. But what's interesting to note is in Acts, we only get that part. We don't hear about the first part of Joel where there's the swarming locusts and the devastation and people are destroyed. We don't hear about what happens in Acts 2, 12, or sorry, Joel 2, 12, 12, yet even now says the Lord, return to me, right? So it's locus, the call to return, the people return, and then there's the repain that happens. And then the spirit falls on the people. Let me make the connection now to my own story and maybe it'll connect with some of yours. Some of you know that I, um, I grew up in a family that was, um, there was a lot of brokenness. Broken relationships, generational abuse, divorce. And as a kid, I remember watching movies where you'd see the happy families. And the happy families always lived in two-story colonials in my imagination and they always had the little lights at Christmas that flickered in the windows. Thus, Andy lost the argument about the creepy candles in the window at Christmas. Because I was like, happy families have candles in the window at Christmas, Andy. Don't a lot of arguments actually go that way in relationships where it's not about the thing, but about something else. Okay. So for me, happy families lived in houses like that. And they had big tables where anyone could come. You found a stranger, a friend at school who didn't have a place to go. Anyone was welcome, and they could all come in. Now, as psychology will tell us, it's normal for kids to make idealized versions and stories about their families, about their parents. It's a really brilliant thing that God did in wiring us, actually. For us to be able to survive childhoods, no matter how harsh or painful, our brains help us to like, make up stories and live in them, even if they're not totally true. Right? It's part of how we survive into adulthood. And in my head, my family was just wonderful. At least, that's the story I wanted to be true, right? Like, everything was okay. If you read my seventh-grade journal entry, it talks about how my mom was my best friend. And in some ways, she was. I love my mom. And my relationship with my mom's super complicated. But I couldn't touch that story for a long time, right? Like, I couldn't talk about how actually it was really hard and painful growing up because I felt like I'd betray my mom, because it was actually a really hard story, because I didn't know what to do with it, because I like good stories, and I want the one with the two-story colonial with the candles in the window, people. Dear Jesus, (laughs) can I get some candles? A thing that some of you have heard me say before is that I believe in resurrection more than I have ever before in my life. I say that because I have seen what has happened in my own life as I've let myself be more honest about the pain and the longing and the grief in my own story. As I've opened my hands and let myself Weep and be angry and dismayed about my family and things in the world and things in myself that aren't as idealized as I'd like to pretend. And I've been sure at various points that the truth would kill me. Right? You know the saying, the truth will set you free, but first, what is it, it will terrify you? First, You'll want to kill it first, you'll want, it's something like that, right? The truth will set you free, but we don't like it at first. That's Sarah's version, (laughs) right? The same thing is true of the gospel life. Now for some of you, you heard the good news that God loved you and you were like, I'm in right now, right? And for many of us, we're both probably in, but also there are other parts of us that are learning to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're working on opening our hands and actually surrendering and so the prophets in many ways it's not just some story about people far off it's a superhuman story on a structural level and an individual level it's a story of people who didn't want to know the truth about what was going on who were experiencing suffering and hard things who had turned their hearts away from God and the prophet comes in and says here's what's going on people and then, like they do to Jesus, they first try to kill the prophet because we don't want to know the truth, right? Like That's really, really hard and painful. Again, case in point here, my brother is sober right now, which is awesome. Um, but there was a period where he wasn't. And my spouse has worked in addiction treatment, and I remember the first time he suggested to me that I might be a codependent, overfunctioning big sister. How do you think that went, <laughs> right? right? The truth will set you free. At first, it's gonna make you really mad. <laughs> so Joel comes in, AKA Andy Garbers, and says, oh, by the way, there's this thing going on that you wanna pretend isn't going on, Sarah. And here's the truth. Okay. That truth first hurts as much as the truth of whatever is happening around us hurts. But then what happens in our lives and in the gospel and in the resurrection story of Jesus as end in the book of Joel is that then God speaks and says this isn't the end of the story. Return. Come home. Let go. Trust me. Surrender to me. God. And in that as you rend your hearts and open yourselves, that's then when the Spirit can restore. If I had not done the hard work, the terrifying, terrible work, of acknowledging that my relationship, for instance, with my mom was really fraught and complicated, I guarantee you I would not be married to one of the most wonderful humans in the planet. I think so. You don't need to think so, but I do, so that's good. Andy Garbers, right? right? But I couldn't have had that happen if I hadn't done the hard work to make it happen. Not that I made Andy happen, but I opened myself then, right? If I hadn't done the hard work of facing my terror about does God really love me as a woman, I don't think I'd be a preacher. <laughs> that's for sure, right? But as I turned towards that, I got to hear God's loving tenderness like in the midst of Joel. Sarah, return to me and open your heart. I'm for you. Where in your own story has that been true? Something that's been painful, something that's tender to touch, something you don't want to go towards. And God lovingly is saying, open your hands, open your heart and rend it and grieve and weep. This is all grieving imagery here. Grieve and weep and then let me give back the years. Now the reality is those years in the book of Joel and in our lives, they've still happened, right? The person who you love who has died, is not going to be brought to life in this lifetime. Some relationships will never be able to be fully reconciled or healed or restored in the way we long for. But that doesn't mean that God can't birth and bring about a new story. One that is filled with the good gospel news of how God shows up in the world. And then... When that happens, as we open ourselves, the spirit comes in. And we get to dream anew. We get to be more of the people that God intended for us individually and collectively to be. But it's only as we really do that work that the Spirit can do the full work of restoration. Now sometimes God does restorative works by the Spirit in our lives even when we're kicking and screaming, right? Right? But you think about the story of the son, the prodigal son, right? He was starving in another country. The dad was there the whole time waiting for him to come home, but guess what? He didn't get to come home until he came home, right? He had to actually do that journey of coming home and then the God who is the God who restores was with them the whole time. So an invitation that I wanted to extend to all of us today is to think about your own stories. And if Joel were to write you a letter, what might be the word of God that's written to you? What might be the first chapters or the places where you name your grief, your pain, your own failings and longings? What might the call written out to you of God saying, come home, return, hey you forgot, remember, repent, release, stop doing things that way. And what then is or will continue to be the story of restoration that God wants to do in you so that we might live out the good news of gospel life so that we might be the church that Acts 2 speaks of in quoting Joel where we each dream anew in concert with the God who is about the business of restoration. To do the work of getting saved and continuing to let ourselves be transformed by the Spirit. I acknowledge it's scary work. It's hard work. And I encourage us to remember, whenever you're feeling that, that we have a God who is not far off, but a God who himself became human, knew what it was to love and to lose and to suffer, a God who was crucified, like literally and died and was buried. And might we journey with that Christ so that we can know deeper resurrection life and that we can be a church who together embodies this word from Joel that then afterward I will pour my spirit out on all flesh Kevin, and Mary, and David, Steve. And your sons and daughters, they will prophesy. Our old men, you know who you are, I don't say anything. (laughs) They shall dream dreams, brothers. And your young men shall see visions. And on every one of us, in these bodies, God will pour out God's spirit. May the God who is in the business of restoration meet you with some truth. Hold you with loving kindness. Invite you to return. And make life more abundant in and through you than you could have ever expected or imagined that we might be people of this restoration in God's world. Will you pray with me?